Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Covering the worldwide African diaspora. Worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Shout out to Kelly Burton. Kelly is the CEO of the Black Innovation Alliance. The Black Innovation Alliance is a coalition of 116 organizations working to close the racial wealth gap for black founders, entrepreneurs, and creatives. You can follow the Black Innovation Alliance on Twitter at BuildWithBIA, BuildWithBIA, and learn more at BlackInnovationAlliance.com. Shout out to Kofi Ampadu. He is part of the team at Talent Times Opportunity, which is an Andreessen Horowitz um, um, under that umbrella. And he was just recently named to the Forbes BLK Advisory Council. And what's really cool about that is that that's really a community designed to champion the global community of black entrepreneurs, professionals, leaders, and creators that are driving systemic change in business kind of like everything we're all about that's right um and so congratulations to kofi you can find out more about forbes blk at forbes.com f-o-r-b-e-s.com slash forbes blk and then you can find out more about kofi and the talent times opportunity initiative which is really fantastic unto itself at a16z.com slash talent dash X dash opportunity. And shout out to Kate Callett. Kate is the founder and CEO of Amini. Amini, spelled A-M-I-N-I, is on a mission to be the definitive source for African environmental data. You can follow Kate on Twitter at Kate Callett. Callett spelled K-A-L-L-O-T, Kate Callett, and learn more about Amini at amini.ai. Shout out to Carla Vernon. And this is a little bit of a belated shout out because back at the beginning of the year, she became the CEO of Honest Company and they make like juices and all kinds of other great things. Um, But what's interesting is that she's probably... If not, if she's not the only one, she may be like one of a very, like, maybe you can count on your hands, um, Afro-Latina CEOs of a publicly traded company. You can follow her on Instagram at Carla Inspired. You can find out more about Honest Company and their products at Honest.com. And I've got to tell you, we could do like a whole episode about Carla. She is amazing. And did you know this? Her mom, Cynthia Vernon... It was one of the, you know, quote, hidden figures, you know, those female mathematicians that were kind of like not part of like the mainstream history at NASA initially. So shout out to Xavier because they're, they're in Louisiana um, and the New Orleans area. But I mean, we could do a whole episode about just her. So right on, Carla. Yes, indeed. And shout out to Angela Benton. Angela is the founder and CEO of Streamlytics. Streamlytics is building an ethical data ecosystem and working to put humanity back into data and AI. You can follow Angela on Twitter at A Benton, Benton spelled B E N T O N, A Benton, and learn more about Streamlytics at streamlytics.com. Streamlytics spelled S T R E A M 
L-Y-T-I-C-S, streamlytics.com. And shout out to the team at TAWI. They just won the 2023 Microsoft Imagine Cup Championship, uh, which really is a tech competition gathering students from around the world to really see how they can make a difference. And this team leverages real-time speech recognition to help children with auditory processing disorders to communicate more effectively. It's a really cool project. It's awesome they're doing this. They're based out of Kenya. And you can find out more about them and the Imagine Cup uh, Championship at imaginecup.microsoft.com. And thank you, fellow Wayfarers, for joining us in the Pure Vibranium Circle. Mm -hmm. So, we are a global podcast, and so we have to give a shout-out to our brothers and sisters in Newark and Newcastle and Oyo and Akure and Paisley and Palmyra and Ensenada and Escondido and Insuka and Nazareth and Bathsheba and Elmina and everywhere the African diaspora is standing strong and moving forward. Including San Diego. That's right. You know, Comic-Con's coming up. And did you see that Hannah Beachler uh, is going to be there? Oh, yes. She is the production designer oh, yes. for Black Panther, and she is awesome. If you're, are on, if, if you're still on Twitter, um, you can follow her at Hannah E. Beachler. that's B-E-A-C-H-L-E-R, uh, on Twitter. Uh, but she is amazing and really you know, fantastic, and it's exciting that she's going to be there, and she's going to be talking about Wakanda and uh, self-sustainable Afrofuturist cities. And so... Very excited about that. Love it, love it, love it. Of course, we got to shout out Africa Comic Con as well, which is coming up later this year, September 22nd to the 25th Mm -hmm. in Johannesburg. Comic Con Africa. Stand up. Right on. Of course, there's some other great events that are happening right now. Africon is going down as we speak. Yeah, right now. Uh, and and really, it's a, a conference, a gala, you know, music festival, truly happening this very second. If there's any event that aligns with who we are and what we're about, it is Africon. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a great event, and they're celebrating 60 years of Africa Day. And you know, I have to say that you know, for our family, we're not quite ready to go out to festivals yet. Um, only reason why we're not there. <laughs> um, and so, you know, maybe once we can get maybe our next round of boosters or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we're looking forward to attending um, very likely next year. If there's any event that aligns with who we are and what we're about, it is this. So Africon is actually put on by a group called Amplify Africa. Yes, it is. And so you can find out more about them and all their different projects at AmplifyAfrica.org. That's right. LA Tech Week is going down from June 5th to the 11th. You can find out more information about that at tech-week.com. Again, tech-week.com. And Mark Andreessen's going to be there. We just mentioned a moment ago for talent uh, times opportunity. Mm-hmm. There is a Bisa Butler exhibit oh, yeah. that is going down as well. I love her work. I love her work. I love her work. 
And her current exhibition is actually in New York, so mm-hmm. it's not in L.A. Right. Um, it's called The World is Yours, and it's started back at the beginning of May, and it goes until June 30th. Um, also, another comic event going down in Houston as we speak, and our brother, Besserat Debebe from Eton Comics, that's right. is going to be there. And that's uh, what, he's at what, Comic Palooza? Is that what that is? Comic Palooza, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're at Comic Palooza, if you're in the Houston area, He's going to be in booth 2315. Eton Comics, the home of African superheroes and super sheroes. We love them. I bet not only is uh, Best Rod there, but I'd be willing to bet that um, our friend uh, Herb is going to be there too. I, can't I, imagine, so. I couldn't imagine that he wouldn't be. What up, Herb? Shout out to you, Herb, and yes. uh, uh, Beyond Time Comics. So, arguably the most important event that is going down right now is the New York African Film Festival. That's right. Yes. And this has been going on for more than 30 years. Celebrating its 30th anniversary. Yeah, and it's been this bridge between African cinema mm-hmm. and, you know, essentially the mainstream cinema, if you mm-hmm. will, if you can call it that. And it's been go- it's going on right now uh, from... Oh, I want to say it started sometime in May and is going through, I believe, June 1st is when that's going on. Uh, you can find out more at AfricanFilmNY.org and just even check out the trailers. We're going to talk more about these films in another episode, but, but check out the trailers for these films. You know, we talk often about like, you know, fresh stories coming yes. out of yes. Africa mm-hmm. uh, and out of, and out of, you know, the, the rise of those stories. Yes. And, you know, some great trailers, man. Yes. As much as I hate to admit it, watching these trailers has been good. <laughs> so shout out to the New York African Film Festival. Trailers, man. They're good. Yeah. We'll be talking a lot more about that in our next episode. Yeah. And, of course, I have to mention something that's going down in Wakadis, <laughs> a.k.a. Addis Ababa. And this comes to us from our brother, Nahom Taklu. Nahom, what's up? There is a photography exhibition called The Birth of a City. So it's a, the development of Addis Ababa as a capital city over the years. It's taking place at the Yimtu Bazina Cultural Center. It's going down from June 1st to the 15th. Don't have a, a website for that, but my suggestion is, is that you follow Nahom Teklu, and you can find him on Twitter at N-A-R-C-H-O-M-E. Always a great source for architecture information, and specifically African architecture information. He was at the Addis Build Conference, and again, to all my brothers and sisters in Wakadis, much love. Enjoy this exhibit. So today... We continue our conversation about Pan-African storytelling, artificial intelligence, and practical money moves. We will celebrate Africa Day, as we always do. That's right. We will discuss a new film initiative from our brother Idris Elba. We will consider some upcoming films and give some additional love to the Pan-African film platform, Akaroko. And we will begin by finally discussing the Netflix documentary, Is That Black Enough For You? You are capable of great feats of strength and courage. 
My grandmother told me that movies turned her dreams into something resembling stories. But the on-screen crushing of Black Hope was institutional. When I was a kid, kid, we had Stephen Fetchett, Willie Bess, Buckwheat, but I still wanted to be them. One decade answered the question, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or does it explode? This is the story about a group of artists that changed the culture forever. These movies were about us. That's a nice change. <laughs> the music. The style. Is that black enough for you? The heroes. You want the black guy with you, because he's going to help you get out. When Billy D. Williams came on, every woman in Hollywood hollered, ah! I fell in love with myself. <laughs> I said, my goodness gracious. You see your role as a positive force or a negative one. And when we made the film about the way things actually are. All the artists, since I know them personally, are responsible people who are concerned about what is happening in the black community. Movies is the stuff of fantasies. I needed a black cowboy. First and foremost, I'm an artist. You've got to walk in like it's yours. They were proof that we were here, that we create culture, that we have voices, and that we will be heard. You ain't, but it's gonna be. <laughs>《Black Enough for You》<laughs> Oh yes it is Dear listener, if you don't know about this day um, It's celebrated every year on May 25th And it commemorates the founding of the Organization of African Unity That's also, right Also known as essentially the African Union mm -hmm. The precursor to it Exactly And it's celebrated in various countries on the African continent And also around the world um, and yay on this very tech deck. Yes. And so the organization of African unity, um, officially became the African union, uh, in 2002. And just a quick aside too, about Africa day and the organization of African unity. One of the things that's not talked about in regards to Malcolm X and his story is that after making his pilgrimage and having his experience in Africa and having his experience with the organization of African unity, yeah. he came back to the United States founded the organization of african-american unity i didn't and know that was, see here the helicopters are coming mm -hmm, the helicopters yeah. are coming right now because no don't 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 make it seem like there was unity in the black civil rights movement back mm -hmm, in the day mm -hmm. so now they're going the paratroopers are, are coming and, and now i'm in trouble <laughs> this helicopter is actually hovering over us it is, it is. <laughs> here at the tech deck um, so maybe, yeah, I might be in trouble. Fortunately, we are underneath a beautiful, beautiful oak tree. And so, um, you know, their infrared probably can see us, but the, uh, the rest of it, maybe, maybe not. Well, they don't have infrared. They got infra black. <laughs> well, as you can see, I'm not at the Venice architecture biennale as i should be either way i want i want to go to that too you know we were talking earlier about uh, events and festivals and 
you know, that I think is something that is also on my list of something to get to is to get to, get to the Biennale. But there was a big announcement from David Ajay. So he's been commissioned to design India's largest art and cultural center. Nice. So that's going to be in Delhi and scheduled to open in 2026. And that was announced in Venice at the Biennale. Fantastic. Uh, so we want to say congratulations to you, brother. Putting in work. Can't stop you. Can't even contain you. Seriously. So there are 1,001 updates that we need to talk about, but we're going to table those until our next episode because we have a lot to get to. But we did, in our last episode, promise a Tulsa update. Yeah, Tulsa. We keep coming back to that. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this and say, why do you keep coming back to Tulsa? What's Mm -hmm. up with Tulsa? You know, if you're not familiar with it, we keep talking about really the, the massacre of Black Wall Street, the... Um, what happened in 1921 where essentially white rioters destroyed a, uh, a very prosperous section of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And it was like over 300 people were killed. They had airplanes actually bombing the, the, that part of the town. Mm-hmm. And essentially it was all covered up. There were no prosecutions, no investigations, nobody, um, you know, in fact, it was almost denied for nearly a century. And, here come the helicopters again because yes. I keep bringing it back up. Mm-hmm. But why it matters is that oftentimes there's this whole notion that's put forth of like, well, if you people only pulled yourselves up by your bootstraps, you know, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in now. Here comes the helicopter mm-hmm. <laughs> coming for me again. But the thing that belies that is that. <laughs> The thing that belies that, though, is that when it happened, it got burned down. And it got burned down with no repercussions for anyone. And you might say, oh, that seems like an exaggeration. You know, it's been verified. And, you know, and that's not even counting the people prior to the massacre. You know, according to uh, that According to the accounts of that time, you know, there were 23 people who'd been lynched in the year, in the couple of years prior to that. And while it's a little bit hard to watch, if you want to get a sense of what it was like, you can watch, going back to the forward facing futurist, um, Afrofuturism, go watch The Watchmen on HBO. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, that series only was kept for one season. Actually, I really liked it. but what's cool about that is that the opening piece of that, essentially the, I'm not sure what you'd call it, maybe you'd call it like the, the cold open or something uh, of that, opens up in Tulsa in 1921 during mm-hmm. that massacre. Mm-hmm. And really is sort of the origin story of, of what happened there. And when you look at it, you'll see a prosperous 1920s town. And... That's the thing, is that, you know, at least in a lot of our imaginations, at least for people of black descent in America, a lot of us are are captivated by this idea of, like, what would have happened if it had been allowed to thrive, if Mm -hmm. if it hadn't been bombed out of existence, if it hadn't been burned to the ground. And not the only example, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma had several black towns. And so, I mean... um, 
uh, Seneca Village in New York City, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. where the 210 freeway stub is, I'm sorry, where the 710 freeway stub is in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this sort of thing, maybe not a complete massacre, but the destruction of marginalized neighborhoods has happened in many cases over and over and over again, mm-hmm. um, in particular in the United States, but also, you know, in other places too. Mm-hmm. And the point is, though, is that Greenwood, the Greenwood neighborhood in Tulsa is what we're talking about. And so you'll often see, you know, banks and whiskeys and all kinds of things using that same name. Um, it, it captivates everyone's imagination because it was so prosperous and doing so well. Mm-hmm. And so everyone wonders, like, well, what would it be like if it had, if it had continued? Whack Tulsa. <laughs> and so... You know, that's that's why we talk about an update on Tulsa. So so we will put some information about The Watchmen and the series and a little bit about Tulsa into our storytelling menu. We've talked about this a few times before, and, we'll, and I'll make a quick mention of it. Um, Greenwood Bank mm-hmm. is a banking service that, mm-hmm. you know, essentially is focused on building wealth in the black community. Yes. And actually, did you hear about how they uh, acquired uh kindling indeed indeed Um, yes you know that's another one of those black digital banks focused on generational wealth so-called neobank neobanks exactly well because yeah because it's it's not really like a proper like fdic bank because there's like another bank and we talked about this in a prior episode Mm -hmm. uh for greenwood in particular there's like another bank that's fdic insured so for those of you who aren't in the u.s it's a the it's a it's a federal program that that if there's a run on the bank you know your deposits up to a certain amount are covered uh, in case the bank uh fails um, hashtag Silicon Valley Bank, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or more if it's a big enough or mm-hmm. rich enough group. Um, but the um, but what's interesting is that um, but these are offering so not just so maybe not really a traditional bank, but banking services, mm-hmm. and their target market is the black community. And uh, Kindly is also doing the same sort of thing. Uh, and and so I, it's interesting to see that that Greenwood is doing well enough to where they're able to you know acquire. expand and mm-hmm. acquire different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, they're kind of they have for Kindly they have a, a, a debit card, and they're really meant to be uh, kind of this inclusive technology company serving you know the black community and its allies. Um, you can get like your um, your. You can get your paycheck like two days early via direct deposit, that kind of thing, uh, for uh, Kinley. You can look them up before they're merged at bkindley.com. That's B-E-K-I-N-L-Y.com. And then for Greenwood, you Greenwood Bank, that is, you can look them up at gogreenwood.com. And they have an online app on the various app stores and things like that. And you can find all this information in our conversation menu. Just mm-hmm. go to recollect.media, click on Sky is Black, and access those resources there. Our comrade T. Brother O. Benson does Akaroko. What he is doing is so important. Yes. So we've talked about Akaroko in the past. A-K-O-R-O-K-O. I've said this before. If I could only follow 10 
social media accounts. An hulet sost anat amis sidis sebat semen zetain aser. You're flossing your your MR. That's right. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. So if I could only follow ten social media accounts, Akaroko would be one of them. In fact, if I could only follow five accounts, it's quite possible an Akaroko would be one of them. And just as a reminder, dear listener, uh, Akaroko is focused on African stories. And you can follow them at akaroko.com, uh, A-K-O-R-O-K-O.com. T. Brother O'Benson, stand up. Nice. All right, so we both finally saw, is that black enough for you? Yeah. We know Akaroko is black enough for us. Definitely. We're doing this deep dive into Pan-African storytelling, and it seemed logical that that was a good place for us to begin. You can get with this, you can get with that. Is this <laughs> or that black enough for you you know i have to say that i i have to applaud you for encouraging me to watch this because it really is a great way to kick off this conversation Mm -hmm. about black storytelling because in a nutshell this this documentary which is on netflix by the way it's on netflix yes uh first of all it's narrated by elvis mitchell go ahead Elvis. for those of you who are in southern california Mm -hmm. you know he has been a radio presence so thank you elvis but really, it talks about sort of the, the history and the legacy of, of African-American cinema really kind of focused in on like the 70s. And the so-called exploitation era. Yeah. And it was interesting because prior to watching this documentary, I will admit I had sort of this naive sense that all of those films were really, truly exploitive. It's like, oh, okay, you know, you've got these, you know, non-black studio executives who are just trying to make a buck off of the black experience mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. off of a black body. Um, and and it was all hypersexualized and, you know, jive-talking and all this stuff. I'll admit, probably my entire definition of black exploitation was taken from uh, those scenes in the in the, the Hollywood Shuffle by Robert uh, Townsend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably the full sum of my prior experience with black exploitation in terms of my understanding of it as a genre. And I have to say that this film, uh, which premiered in last year in, in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, really really opened my eyes and. And while, yes, there definitely were these derivative, you know, extractive works, the documentary exposes the transition from black characters being in, at least in American cinema, Mm -hmm. being in the subservient, you know, sort of head down kind of roles to ones where... Step and fetch it kinds of things. Yeah, and minstrel shows and, you know, when there was a significant role, the, it was actually a white actor and blackface kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This talks about the transition to where you actually have uh, black actors in heroic roles uh, and roles where, you know, filling in all the different genres of film, filling in like, you know, horror and Western and, and different things like that. And it was really fascinating. That's right. My name is Elvis Mitchell, and I'm going to talk to you about something that's both momentous and kind of sad for me. My film debut as director is something I've been trying to get made for more or less about 20 years. And 
This movie is important to me because it's about the film period 1968 through 1978. Now we know it, of course, is a time we saw movies by people such as Martin Scorsese and Hal Ashby and Robert Altman. But I'm looking at the films that don't get their due, the films whose box office kept the American movie business alive. And those are the films by black filmmakers and about black actors and about black stories that really were important in both the social and artistic fabric of this country. Films whose soundtracks are on the wall behind me. I hope you enjoy it. Forgive me if I sigh wistfully as I try to figure out what I'm gonna do the next 20 years of my life. Thank you. It really opened my eyes and it was one of those things that because, because I'm of a certain age, a lot of those movies were too mature for me to watch. Yes. You know, when they came out. Mm-hmm. And by the time that I was old enough to watch them, you know, things like Star Wars had come out. And so it really, and these movies were, you know, out of print and, and not in theaters and really had kind of gone on into more of the mythology and the lore of black culture mm-hmm. than movies I had actually seen. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, as a kid, probably my son's age, like seven years old, mm-hmm. you know, I remember one of the camp counselors had like this incredible, like, you know, black Cadillac and, and, you know, all the counselors, you know, had like nicknames and such. And his nickname was Superfly. That's right. <laughs> and, and he was, he was badass. And, and I had no idea what that meant. A Cadillac is great. A black Cadillac is all that. It was a black <laughs> man with a, a, a sort of like this quasi box cut afro. Couldn't tell that brother nothing. <laughs> driving his black Cadillac camp counselor and he was like he was really ripped really buff he, this is YMCA camp in Altadena Palm Street Y for those mm-hmm. of you who are from the area and he was like he'd like lift kids up and he was like and it was one of those things to where I didn't even I didn't even know because the movie Superfly is about a uh, a black um, drug dealer essentially with, with some heroic elements well basically cast, cast him as sort of this anti-hero mm-hmm and, but as a kid, I was like, yeah, Superfly, bad, he's bad, and, 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 and was kind of like this, you know, larger-than-life concept, because as a seven-year-old, you're not going to take a seven-year-old to see this movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, it may have been back in the days when, when mainstream, you know, go-to-see in a regular theater movies could have an X rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, this documentary kind of went on a little tangent, talking yes. about how mm-hmm. uh, the X rating became like a marketing thing. Yes, um, prior to it being you know the exclusive realm of porn, mm-hmm. um, kind of what PG thirteen is now, mm-hmm. where people kind of go for that Reddit rating because it's edgy. Sweet, sweet backs, badass song. <laughs> exactly, and so it was interesting to watch this documentary because a lot of the the mythology. That was around Superfly, mm-hmm. you know, Shaft, you mm-hmm. know, when people talk, oh, so-and-so's the Mac. Mm-hmm. Those things all come from films that came out during that period. And we've all kind of absorbed it without ever actually seeing the source material. And some of you who are film buffs or of a certain age, maybe you've seen the source material, but I'll admit I didn't. And so this was really enlightening to me to see where that came from. and also. As you see so often in um, in the American story, you'll see here comes a helicopter again. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always, always. They're, they're going to get me. They're going to. They're really coming for me today. 
but but as you see so often in the American story, you'll see things that happened in um, African American culture first, and and it was really done as a way of coping and a way of surviving and a way of making a dollar out of fifteen cents. That's right, a dime and a nickel. <laughs> that then becomes sort of the way things go now. So, for example, ladies and gentlemen, if you're, if you're like, oh, I've got the soundtrack to this movie, X, Y, and Z. Well, the idea of a soundtrack being something beyond just a classical orchestra, mm-hmm. uh, a soundtrack that comes out like six months to a year after the movie comes out. Or even before. The idea of the, of the soundtrack coming out before the movie comes out, the idea of a, of a soundtrack coming out with pop stars, with pop music, where, where you're listening to the single that comes off of you know, XYZ movie, that all started with those films. Isaac Hayes, stand up. Seriously, I mean, some of the, I mean, I was listening to the to. I actually want to get the soundtrack to "Is It Black Enough" for you because much like shout out to Questlove, "Summer of Soul," mm-hmm. um, which came out last year as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, some of the music that that we think of as iconic in the in the in the African American experience was was movie music, and and so. Uh, the idea of having a soundtrack come out before the movie came out, really to where it was kind of a, a, almost like an uh, at the vanguard, almost like an, an advertisement for the movie, mm-hmm. was because these black movies were trying to drum up business and get people excited about the movie before it came out. Mm-hmm. And now it's 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 the way it's done. Yes. And I have to say, I really enjoyed this. Um, you know, it had interviews with Billy D. Williams and with um, Lawrence Fishburne. With the late great Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. Lynn Terman, Zendaya, she was mm-hmm. the youngest person in that in that group. Mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Say what again? <laughs> but it was a really great movie, and, and and I would say that going back to the whole notion of things being baked into lore, um, that to me was really the the impact of that of this documentary on me was that. Because, as I said a moment ago, I didn't have, ever have a chance to see these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe why I think I've seen Shaft, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't actually even really remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw like Car Wash, um, one of the best songs ever. Oh, fantastic! Baseline is all that, and and the guitar parts, awesome, and the strings, <laughs> basically the whole song. But the thing is, is that. Some of those ideas, the idea of sort of like this, this, dare I say, Lone Ranger, black man, you know, in the city fighting for justice. Mm-hmm. I can't put it onto any one specific movie, but the notion of a character doing that and being seen on the large screen came from the movies of this of this time. And so when we talk about black exploitation, they tended to lump in all those movies into that. But really, there was kind of like this, almost like this curve to where on the upside of the curve, the hard part of the curve, is the part where independent filmmakers, some of the first black directors, were like having to like, you know, do anything they could, put out the soundtrack first, do whatever they could think of mm-hmm. to get this movie made and to get it seen in mainstream theaters mm-hmm. and claw their way all the way up. And then at the sort of the top of the curve, the studios are like, hey, there's money to be made here. Right. 
Um, and then you see all these derivative kind of schlocky things. And actually, one of the interesting things that um, that I learned from, from this documentary was that at least the way it was portrayed in the documentary, um, it was the whiz that kind of killed it. Because the whiz, uh, which we all think of as a classic. The budget was too high and didn't get the return on it. Yeah, $100 million. And so the rationale was, well, we can't spend money on black films because they don't get a return. Which, with probably the exception of the whiz, right. all the other ones right. had made money right. on like almost no budget. Right. And so I thought that was an interesting point, too. So I, I actually really, really enjoyed this documentary. And uh, it's a bit long, two hours, a little over two hours. But, uh, but and definitely. I thought, and I thought it could have been better organized and a little yeah. more categorized. You know me, I love a good quilt. But uh, <laughs> Brother Elvis really took that quilt idea to the limit. But overall, like you, I enjoyed it. And, and, and what I appreciate about that particular period, too, were some of the themes in those films. You talked about justice already and sort of the Lone Ranger, sort of black man, sort of working on behalf of the community or his circle. But there was also this idea of exposing the man or getting back at the man or uh, defending the community as sort of against the man. And, and those kinds of films we don't experience as much anymore, but I think they're actually sort of critical. So some of those films in some ways are more quote-unquote conscious than a lot of the films that we experience today. And so I, I, I really appreciate that aspect of those films. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I actually would even say, and I'll let you, dear listener, go watch your homework is to go watch this film so you can know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, Night of the Living Dead from like 1968. Go watch it with modern eyes and you'll see that it's an allegory of the experience of black Americans having to defend itself from like these unending zombie hordes and then um, what happens? Flames of fire. Yes, and then what happens to the poor protagonist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go check it out, Night of the Living Dead. And you mentioned Shaft a second ago, too. Uh, a couple of years ago, I somehow or another decided to see Shaft in Africa. I just right. wanted to sort of see it. Shaft goes to the airport and ends up petting this lion. <laughs> real lion, too. I mean, not, not CGI, real right. lion. And I was just like, how cool is this? And that was the other thing, was that, and and... Elvis Mitchell in the documentary really made these points as well to where some of the scenes from these movies had echoes in modern films, you know, and, you know, when you said petting a lion, I immediately thought of the, the two versions of coming to America, mm-hmm. you know, in particular coming to America two, which was, was not trash. nearly as good as coming to America one. I, I love Eddie Murphy, respect Arsenio Hall. But, but there were scenes there that were echoes. And even the whole idea of King Joffy with the lion, you know, mane over his shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, is are echoes of those movies, and and I, and I, I just really, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed this documentary, and I would definitely encourage you to check it out. The big takeaway for me from the film was that that was a very strong, definitive filmmaking era. Yes. And I actually think that we have, in present day, commenced what I think is going to be the renaissance of African filmmaking and storytelling. Um, I would agree. I mean, I think the seed started with Spike Lee, Mm -hmm. sort of our current age, when, you know, the opening for all of his films would always be 
wake up. We are woke, so to speak. <laughs> and of course, don't say that in Florida. No, seriously. And of course, you think of Robert Townsend, like you talked about already, talking about the absurdity of the film industry. And there were folks like John Singleton and F. Gary Gray mm-hmm. ushering in new voices and stories into the so-called mainstream. Yep. And then on the TV side, you know, after those classic groundbreaking shows like Cosby Show and Different World and Living Single and The Fresh Prince and Moesha and Girlfriends and Blackish and so on, I think that the soil has been tilled we are ready for this new African filmmaking renaissance. I think we're in the midst of it because when I think of major directors of African descent like Ava DuVernay and Ryan Coogler and Barry Jenkins and Steve McQueen, Raoul Peck and Malcolm Lee and Jordan Poole, Gina King you mentioned earlier and Gina Price Bythewood, tons of other directors. But when I think of them, I don't think that any of them have necessarily done their best work. They're still in their creative primes, and I think there's still great storytelling that is going to be coming from them. And I also think they're going to be joined by an unprecedented throng Pan-African filmmakers and Pan-African films that I think are going to drastically expand and redefine our cultural canon. I think that's what's happening right now. I would agree. I would agree. And I would definitely say... You know, one last thing I'll say about this documentary is that, and I have to say thank you, Bernard, um, because you know you frequently, um, I, I have this tendency to sort of race ahead and say, "Okay, future, let's go," and you are very good at saying, well, let's do the Sankofa thing. Let's circle back and like make sure that we sort of remember where we've been mm-hmm. as we race ahead to where we're going. Mm-hmm. And I would say that even if you're disinclined to see these movies, I would say that getting a chance to see sort of the, at, at a high level, that's really what this documentary does, sort of see where a lot of these ideas and notions and dare I say memes, but mm-hmm. sort of these, these concepts come from, I would say is really valuable. And so I would strongly recommend that you check it out. And uh, just even if it's for that sense uh, unto itself, even though I'll admit there's a, a number of these films, I want to circle back and, and watch. And that phrase, is that black enough for you? We found out in the documentary that that was a reoccurring refrain in various films along the way. So mm-hmm. that idea, is that black <laughs> enough for you? I think that line is evolving Mm -hmm. into the line and the reality that we hear in the color purple trailer. Mm -hmm. And that is, she says, Dear Seeley, we are more than just kings and queens. We are at the center of the universe. Today, our teacher taught us about a place called Africa. She said our mamas come from Queens over there. That means that we, royalty. (laughs) I don't need you to love me. Afternoon, I need me a wife. Even if we have to part, you and me, us have one heart. 
Ain't got no kinfolk around these parts. All I had was my sister. <laughs> she was the only one ever loved me. I'm gonna hold my head up. I'm gonna put my shoulders back. It's time for you to see the world. There's gonna be some changes made. Put it on. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. Let's see the smile and color. Oh, sweet and loving God. Showing my heart to the folks that are close to God. Now it's okay. Dear Seely, we are more than just kings and queens. We are at the center of the universe. And so I think that is the transition that we are in the midst of right now. It's not just asking the question, is that black enough for you? But really saying we are at the center of our own creative universe yes and so and is that black enough and just so you know dear listener for those of you for you (laughs) and that comes from was the movie i took me a moment to remember it uh cotton comes to harlem and i think that was in like 1970 and it was like a, a line that came back often in in that movie which was really kind of a movie about i believe two black detectives is that black enough for you? <laughs> you might hear that on that on the show moving forward too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, if you want to know more about Elvis Mitchell, uh, you can go to our conversation menu, of course, uh, but also you can go to kcrw.com, which is a local public radio station here in Southern California, uh, where his show is called The Treatment. That's right. If you want to learn more about black cinema history, we have a book in our bookshop. It's called Black Cinema Culture. Go to skiesblack.com, click on books, or go to recollect.media and click on our bookshop. This new color purple speaks to the renaissance that I'm imagining. In an earlier episode, we talked about my lament that so many times we only get one shot at a particular film. Right. It's like, okay, whether we like color purple or not, that's what it is. The color purple has been made. The definitive work is out there, and nobody can say anything about it because realistically it's probably not going to be made again. But in actuality, yes, <clears throat> we're in a place that we can actually circle back around and do different interpretations of works mm-hmm. in the same way that, what's my girl, uh, English writer, um, did censor sensibility Jane, Jane Austen. Austen. So a, a zillion versions of Jane Austen's work. Mm-hmm. And so I like the fact that we're getting this new iteration of the color purple 
in the same way that we got a new iteration of Shaft when Samuel Jackson did a remake of it. Mm-hmm. So I think we're sort of in a good filmmaking place, and I think the, the best is yet to come. So what did you think of that particular trailer while we're talking about it? I thought it was really cool. I mean, I, it's one of those things to where I really like, you know, as, as an iterative person, mm-hmm. I actually am pretty much down for remakes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that, you know, as given, I'm trying to think of how to say this uh, properly, I like the idea of being able to have a modern remake of it. Um, not necessarily set in modern times because it's not, but uh, but really sort of with an updated sensibility, updated filmmaking, um, being able. It seems like they're going to add. It seems like a lighter movie. Yeah, it's. it's and I'm not sure if it's just the fact that it's a musical, but it seems lighter, happier. When if you read the book. It's a heavy book. I mean, there's some very serious themes in that book. I mean, there's a lot of tragedy in that book that the original Steven Spielberg film captures. Right. And so just looking at the trailer, this one seems a little happier. I think that, I think you put your finger on it. I think, you know, calling it, you know, having it be a little less heavy. Um, I mean, to his credit, Steven Spielberg, you know, basically hewed pretty true to the source material. And... You know, and yet, and yet, it's one thing to have a primarily black story crafted and curated by someone who is not. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film, this version, the upcoming version, is directed does, does have a black director. Yeah, by um, Samuel Bazawule. Bazawule works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Samuel Bazawule, um, who's from Ghana. And, you know, having him be the one who, um, you know, and actually who has a bit more of a, of a hip-hop background, having him be the director is, it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And, and so... And again, it's a musical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, but my point is, is that, you know... Or at least adapted from the musical, at least. My point is, is that when you have black people telling black stories, yes, you're going to get even if you're basing it on the musical, but you're going to get a different result. Mm -hmm. And and you might say, well, why are you always talking about this with black people? Take an Asian story told by a non-Asian screenwriter, non-Asian director, Mm -hmm. is going to be different than an Asian story written and told. I'm told in terms of like direction, cinematography, et cetera, um, directed by an Asian filmmaker. And of course the reverse was true in the Jane Austen adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, which I just mentioned a second mm-hmm. ago, which was directed by Ang Lee, one of my favorite films. Oh, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And it I mean, just to be clear, yes and. Yes and. <laughs> so it's possible, but certainly not recommended. Yes, and I mean, I think that I'll stand on that. Certainly not recommended because we want to have our authentic perspectives showcased. Any artist has a right to do whatever he or she wants to do. Mm -hmm. I want to make a movie about Shakespeare. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Apple TV Plus has a version of Macbeth with Denzel in there. Mm -hmm. 
So any artist can do what they want to do. But for authenticity's sake, for cultural continuity, for the love of Negroes. <laughs> and, and, and I'll have a very thin a thin gap between you and me mm-hmm. into where I would still stick to where I said where it's yes and. Because on the flip side, you know, I'm thrilled to see Denzel in Macbeth. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that having, you know, a diverse cast, having different people in the cast in these stories that, mm-hmm. are, that are iconic. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, I think there's value in that. And there's also value in having it being, as you would say, in-house. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I would stand on, on it being yes and. And I'm not necessarily going to have, I mean, do a good job either way. And so I'm not going to necessarily put a value judgment on which one is preferred. Mm-hmm. To me, I stick very solidly in yes and. Well, again, so we're in an age where we can sort of revisit some of those films in ways that were not economically possible correct. before. That's and correct. So, so we're seeing it with the color purple right now. I would not be surprised if we see another version of Amistad. Yeah. It's hard to imagine another Malcolm X film being made. I'm not sure that we really need one, but there's so many other aspects to Malcolm's life that deserve storytelling as well. His upbringing, his time in Africa. We talked about earlier the building of the Organization of African-American Unity. All those are deserving of films on their own. You mentioned Regina King earlier with Watchmen. She actually directed the film One Night in Miami, which included Malcolm as a character, along with uh, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke. And so I just, I just like the period that we are in. Uh, just to close the loop on the 2023 version of Color Pur- Purple, um, the difference, in my opinion, is direction. I mean, actually... Um, this current version is still produced by Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. so, and Oprah and Oprah mm-hmm. um, and has Quincy Jones mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so a lot of the same sort of like some of the same talent on the, on the production end mm-hmm. is going to still be there. And so, and that makes me actually very excited about it because it's not like, Oh, we're going to bring in a whole new crew. I'm not sure if it's actually a whole new crew, but I mean, in terms of like the actual crew, but I mean, mm-hmm. rather than just, the idea of people going back and revisiting their own work mm-hmm. and then putting sort of changing some people in terms of how the story is going to be told. I think that's part of the value. Yes. And so just to be clear, I'm not like anti Steven Spielberg. Oh no, um, not at all. Not and, at and, all. But, and, and I'm not at all against the 1985 version either. I think that they're no, not at all. Yes. And, right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so just want to be clear about that. Uh, I, I like the period that we are in and I think, Many great things are coming, and I sound like a broken record, but I want everyone to be following Akaroko, which really talks about these things, Pan-African films, better than anyone. I agree, um, 100%. And, so and I think that there's... Get locked in and tied in to what's happening, the movement of black film that is happening around the world. Get tapped in. And part of this, whether you're part of the black diaspora or not, is simply that... While it's wonderful that we are able to go back and revisit stories like The Color Purple, but also there's a wealth of stories that are out there that no one has ever seen. Actually, I'm exaggerating. I'm being hyperbolic. That those of us who are not... Hyperbolic? Hmm. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) Those of us who are, you know, not specifically in Africa and in some of these other cultures, you know, these are stories that are new to us. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And, and so these are stories that are new to sort of the broader pop culture. And I think that's wonderful too, because, you know, I'll admit, I'm the guy who anytime Star Wars is on, whether it's on, even if it's on like those little screens with the crappy chopped up versions on an airplane, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. So I love seeing the same story over and over again. I've even watched the other sequels to Star Wars, which are essentially the same story over and over and over again, mm-hmm. uh, which is a different conversation. But at the same time, it's also really great to see something brand new mm-hmm. and fresh. Yes. And so, um, and, and part of what's exciting about the this moment that, that you say that we're in, and I agree with you, is that so many stories are coming out um, that have a, to us, a, a new perspective, and that these are new stories, novel stories that are coming out. And, and, and I would argue more authentic because they're coming from black people. Not just new, arguably more authentic. And I have to say, authentically, <laughs> these are the kinds of things that we are looking to bring to you That's here right. on Sky is Black. Mm-hmm. We are highlighting experts and innovators and entrepreneurs, artists, filmmakers, cinematographers, writers. So shout out to you, Shonda. Yes, um, yes. Who are pushing us all forward to, we often talk about um, how we're taking you down the road to Wakanda. Mm-hmm. and Wakadis. <laughs> And and we're taking you there. And even if you're like, well, I'm not really from that community, but you can come visit. You can come join us. You can do what you like and, and, and help us all get to a future where all of our cultures, so not just black culture over some other culture. No, where all of our cultures are equally respected, revered, both historically, their past, and also uh, their, the current ongoing um extant nature of those cultures we're bringing it to you here at skies black we're excited to have you you can follow us you've heard us mention our conversation menu at recollect.media mm-hmm. you can go to our website skiesblack.com you can find me at anton at skiesblack.com and you can find me at b francis clark at skiesblack.com that's right on instagram and twitter we are sky is underscore B to the L to the C to the K. On Facebook, we are Sky is... No underscore B to the L to the C to the K. So please give us your feedback. Follow us on social media. We're thankful to have you all here listening to us. And check us out soon, again, on Sky is Black. Sky is Elvis. Yeah, Sky is the treatment. <laughs> Great show. Sky is Shaft. Sky is Superfly. Sky is Dolomite. Sky is Black. Sky Zakaroko. Sky Sealy. Sky is Glover. Sky is Carwash. Sky is Black.